Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 403. I'm joined today by Steve Stamp, aka Steve's of the Corrupt FM crew. People just do nothing big in Japan in your local cinemas. I recommend you go and catch it on the big screen. Um, This was a great one to do. If you missed earlier in the week, I had a bonus episode with Sean Levy, who is director, producer. Um, His new film, Free Guy, is out now. He did Stranger Things. He did so many good things. Real Steel. We talk about all of it. Head back and grab that if you missed it. Also, I've had, if you're a fan of the Corrupt FM crew, I've had Seeper on with Hugo. So that's obviously MC Grinder and DJ Beats. I've had Seeper on on his own. I've had Asim Chowdhury, a.k.a. Chabuddy G on. And I had to complete the collection with Steve's. Everyone's favourite character, I think. Come on. I don't want to hate on any of the others. I love all the characters. But Steve's has got a special place in my heart. And his story in the film is beautiful. So I was excited to talk to Steve Stamp. I didn't know how it'd go. I know he doesn't do a lot of press out of character. But um, Seeper put in a good word for me. So God bless that boy. And yeah, I went on to the Zoom thinking, I don't know how this will go. You know, if it's someone who doesn't do a lot of press, is it because he's not much of a talker? Is it because he's exactly like his character? Um, and it wasn't either of them. This was a joy. It flew by. I came off of this and spoke to a few mates saying, this is a really good episode. Like, Steve Stamp. It, yeah, it's really good. You're going to enjoy it. You, 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 you're going to hear why. As ever, we're brought to you by speechdevelopmentrecords.com where you can get my music, my DVDs, my merch, all sorts of good stuff over there. You can head over to patreon.com forward slash Pip if you want to support the podcast for a dollar a month. But all that aside... Let's get into this chat. This is episode 403 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Steve Stamp. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. I'm joined today by Steve Stamp, a.k.a. Steve's of the Corrupt FM crew. How are you doing, man? Are you good? Hello, mate. I'm very well. Yeah, just living life. Yeah. You know, <laughs> just sweating in my flat. Yeah, it's, it's warm again, isn't it? You can't predict it. It's warm today. How have you been this last year? I've been good. I've been uh, I've been writing a lot of stuff, obviously, yeah. while we've been sort of locked away. And now we're getting back out and sort of starting to make things which is nice. And obviously we've got the people just enough of film coming out, which we've yeah. been sort of sitting on. It's, yeah. been a bit, it's been a bit of a weird one with that. But I'm glad that we've sort of sat on it because, you know, now we can uh, actually release it into cinemas and not have it sort of come out in the middle of a pandemic and sort of go straight to streaming platforms or whatever, yeah. which would have been the other option. It must have been a weird wave of emotions, right? Because... As said, you've gone through the whole pandemic kind of not knowing what's going to happen with your film. And the weird thing with people just do nothing big in Japan, if it had gone straight to streaming services, you yeah. lose the impact of the fact you guys have made a fucking film. How rare is it for yeah. a British TV show? Like Partridge did, did it, a handful of others, but not many, to go like in between us to go onto the big screen. So I'm sure it would have been underwhelming to have thought for a moment that all oh, right this is just now going to feel like a feature length episode <laughs> kind of thing exactly that's and that's the that's the whole kind of challenge i guess that you're kind of battling against in terms of making a feature version of a, a tv show is that you don't want it to feel like the same sort of thing you don't want it to just go on to iplay like you it has to be cinematic and it has to be a bigger thing it has to be a bigger uh project and yeah exactly that like it you know it was a bit uh anxiety inducing but weirdly I feel like now the timing of it's kind of working out quite nicely in a weird way and and the fact that we like are doing this film that's about being in somewhere as far away as Japan at a time when people can't really travel and stuff and it sort of feels like we were very lucky to a have actually been able to go out there and record it all and and get all of that stuff before the world started 
sort of falling out of its own ass, and uh, and B to sort of you know have a, a, a world a window into a world that kind of you know people it's almost like the world before the pandemic, which is yeah. like you know everyone running around in foreign countries and having yeah. adventures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so it's good in a in a sort of. The timing of it's been very strange, but, you know, there's positives as well, I guess. Do you, do you think the corrupt FM lot would have noticed that there was a pandemic? Because it wouldn't have affected the mass. I was, I, I, was, I was thinking exactly as you were saying, the weirdness of being able to, to get back to, to, to travelling now and all that. And I was thinking, yeah. you know none of those guys have ever travelled anyway. No, they- so, so, so it wouldn't have made a big difference in their, in their lives. They would have been in the flat. They would have been... <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're probably out of, like... Out of most people, they'd probably be the most suited to lockdown, especially just being sort of Steve's. I imagine wouldn't have even noticed, or he would have he would have started seeing a bit of uh, this conspiracy stuff knocking about, and he would have got sucked into that. <laughs> yeah, we had a joke that he'd sort of uh, he became really sort of heavily uh, anti-vaccine, anti you know whatever, and uh, and then went on one of the marches and got COVID, and then realised it was real. Yeah, and, uh, and changed his mind completely. I mate, feel like mate, the, the, that would be his journey. The area I, I live in, I've lived in this small town in Essex my whole life, and um, it's that kind of mentality a, a, a lot around these parts. And there's a joke Instagram account I saw that's, that's about this area, and they pointed out, and this is true, no one in my ends was taking it seriously until the guy who ran the pub and it. An Italian up the road got COVID and died, and then everyone went, "Oh, yeah. it's real." It's, it's like it, it took a local kind of pub landlord legend to make people go, yeah. "All right, all right, let's take Tom Hanks getting it." No one gave a shit. Yeah. No one gave a shit that Tom Hanks had it. G- Gino got it, and people were up in arms. I do feel like, yeah. well, RIP Gino. I, I feel <laughs> yeah, like there was a lot of Genos though that like became the sort of. Uh, the reality checks for people and or you'd have a mate who's like uh uncle had it or whatever and you're like yeah. fuck it's actually like starting to get a little bit closer to home and it sort of does feel a bit more real now yeah that it, it was a sort of gradual creep of like shit maybe this is quite dangerous and all this sort of deniers yeah you know we're gradually becoming more and more quiet i mean there's still people now that don't think it should be kind of taken too seriously mate but, I, uh, I struggle I feel like the thing that it's become, though, is more about because the government have handled it so badly, that becomes the the way to sort of disregard it. Yeah. Is to just go, well, all the stuff that they've been saying is such a load of bollocks that, like, we should just carry on as we were and ignore the, like, yeah. <laughs> the disease that's, like... Yeah, big. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of using that rhetoric to my own advantage almost because I'm, I'm remaining ultra cautious because, again, I got used to it on filming and stuff like that when you're being really... Yeah you have to take it dead seriously. So my outlook at the moment is all this kind of freedom day and the new rules set out. It's like, no, fuck the Tories. I'm keeping my mask on. Yeah. No, fuck the Tories. I'm not going into the pub or whatever and kind of so making it that rather than, no, no, this is how you rebel against the government who've done terrible cho- choices all the way through. You have to make your own decisions, I think. all the Like, that's been my kind of thing all the way through is like yeah. make make judgments based on as much knowledge as you can kind of find and those kind of rules about like how what number of people there are in a group and you can you can pick that all apart because it is ridiculous like one more person or there being a sort of I don't know like an umbrella over you means that you're safe or some shit like yeah you just have to be a bit sort of logical about it and make up your own minds about you know how you're protecting people and what you're going to do rather than be blinded. I feel like I'm doing a sort of anti-government, like, COVID speech now, but, yeah. I like it. So, were you guys filming just before all this this broke out? Because you must have finished, you know, reasonably close, right? Yeah, we were in the edit. Um, So we'd filmed everything apart from some pickups that we needed to do. Um, So once we'd sort of assembled the whole film, because the way we do talking heads sometimes, if there's like a a sort of information gap that needs to be bridged. Yeah. That's the good thing about talking heads is that you can kind of cheat by inserting like a talking head, which explains kind of what's, uh, you know, what we were doing there or whatever. It's, it's, it's the genius of the writing as well. I see it as kind of 
it seems it might seem like a weird comparison, but I always believe the Alan Davis role on QI is to be the idiot so it can be explained for all of us idiots at home. He'll be the one that's going, I don't understand, and then they'll explain. And that's yeah. perfect for getting their position across because you can have w- 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 one of you guys just not knowing what's going on or being an idiot, and it allows yeah, you to go, yeah. here's what's going on. Like It's, it's perfect. Even just to sort of emphasise what the drive of a character is, like if, if Griner's doing some really degrading thing on a game show, if that's not feeling like clear enough to what we're trying to say, we could have Mish do a talking head that says, you know, uh, if you want to be famous, you have to do whatever it takes. Yeah. So you're not like yeah, yeah, directly yeah. being a narrator, but it, yeah. it all sort of adds another layer and then you can make things a bit more um, punch, a bit harder and stuff. So yeah, we were, we were in the edit but then we still had to film these extra little bits and we had to do all that in, in sort of COVID masks and all of that stuff. Yeah. But uh, it wasn't too bad. Like the edit was uh, was kind of nearly done and we had to start doing it remotely for the end of it, which was a bit of a pain in the ass. Uh, it was like, when you know, when everybody just started trying to figure out the technology to like collaborate on yeah. their computers. And it's glitchy as hell and not working. Yeah. And it was like the very sort of early stages of that. But luckily, Jack Clough, who's the director, is like a proper geek and really into computers and sort of he he already had like this uh, these like programs that you could, you know, like gamers use where you'd sort of all be communicating and watching the same yeah, screen, yeah, 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 sharing yeah. sharing the screen and everything. And uh, and it's, it wasn't too bad, luckily. I think, um, yeah, like I say, the timing of it wasn't too bad for that. It, it was kind of like we were in the stage where we were going to be sitting and and fiddling about a bit on computers anyway. So it was sort of, yeah, yeah, we got lucky. That's, that's kind of perfect in that respect. I, I always end up jumping all over timelines and that. I do want to go back and talk about kind of early yeah. days. But before I do, just thinking of technology, I know you boys have been working on some stuff with Tom Davis and Rupert and his, his lot. Yeah. How do you find writer's rooms and stuff over Zoom? Because I was talking to a mate about it when we've done some – a, dr- a, dr- a drunk podcast and he was yeah. kind of saying how when we do them in person you're looking at the person who's talking and that's mm. it but when we're doing them over zoom you can see every every prick's face and it's really distracting because you can see who's not paying attention or who's laughing yeah. or who's giggling or who's acting up and i i imagined writers rooms would have that problem over zoom particularly with you boys in with you know the grown-ups or whatever yeah it must definitely. be at points distracting each other by knowing what the other one's thinking at this point yeah and and sometimes you because people will just be sort of looking at their ipad or whatever or that but you can't tell if they're just on their phone or if they're <laughs> just looking down because they're <laughs> scrolling and working really hard trying to figure out what the next line's going to be or whatever yeah but uh in general i think weirdly i've i've really come around to it as a even for writing having a script and and sort of collaboratively writing yeah. At the same time, like I didn't even realize you could do that on final draft and stuff. And you can have yeah. like both of you can be sort of adding words and deleting each other's words if you don't like them and stuff. Yeah. Obviously, there needs to be some sort of order there. But, you know, it's uh, <laughs> if you're if you're working with the right people, it, it works quite well. And like, yeah, uh, working with Tom and James and like James is very he's the sort of the dad of the group. So he will have the he'll have the script up and he'll be the one sort of deleting and uh writing things in and, and we're just there chucking stuff out and feeding in I feel like that thing of like zoning in and out and sort of being kind of almost like not having to be completely switched on all the time is is also quite beneficial because you can kind of tune out and just like relax for a second and have a cup of tea while everybody's talking or yeah. you can kind of get away with little things like that and then you come back and you're and you sort of have loads of stuff to give or uh, I, yeah. I do feel like it's there's a sort of there's probably some psychological term, you know, for people being able to just sort of uh, tune out of stuff enough that they can then, their mind works a little bit better when they yeah. come back. Yeah, completely. Having that a breather from it, I always f- find that with learning lines. I need to drill it and then I need to walk away for a bit because I'll get to a point where it's not going to get any better yeah. in this in this evening. But if I go off and have a walk or I go to sleep or whatever else, I'll come back and it's like, right, firing on all cylinders now mental fatigue is a massive thing yeah i think uh it's it's a thing that naturally happens and you naturally do 
I find it interesting that people have their own versions of it. That, like I was listening to uh, Quentin Tarantino talking about his writing process and he was yeah. saying that he, he writes all day and then at, like in the afternoon at like four or five or whatever, he'll, he'll stop writing and go out to his pool and just sit and relax in the pool for, for like a, a few hours and think about what he's written and what he's been doing. And then like, and then he'll make some notes about like, you know, what he thinks, oh, maybe that, that could be better or whatever. And then the next day, that's his work. Yeah. These notes. He's and I'm like, that's sort of what I do. But like, I don't have a pool. And I just sort of. Uh, I was, was, was going to yeah. say, I've got. I'll uh, go Tesco's. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've got similar that. I, I always, I found my little tr- trick on working on scripts was always finish a little bit early. On, on on what I'm writing, if you know what I mean, so that I'm thinking about that next scene all night. Yeah. So when I sit down the next day, I've not like, rather than like, you know, on, on some things, you'll know this particular bit and then you'll be like, oh, we'll figure out what happens next. I'll kind of always try and leave something I know that's happening next so that rather than when I'm in my pool, when I've got fucking insomnia or whatever, I've, yeah. whatever other issues I've got, I'm going over that scene. So by the time so- I sit down, I'm like... In a way, it's like a treat. It's like a treat that you're coming back to rather than like a... Yeah, exactly. It's a good tip, man. I can't remember where I heard it, but it was a tip that's worked. I See, I don't... See, that's smart. I should do that. Because what I do is I find the the dead end. I find like the the problem and then I basically separate out the problem. This is all that I need to crack, this little one thing. And then I go away and I think about that. And normally that does work. Like I'll come back and I'll have some ideas to solve it. But yeah, that sounds like a good, that sounds like a healthier way of like stopping. <laughs> Quit while you're ahead, basically. It's steering into what your problems are. Like I know I particularly, when I've got something I'm really working on, I know I suffer from insomnia. So, so I go, right, well, at least make the insomnia productive. At yeah. least if, if, if I'm going to lay awake, Give, give me something productive to think about rather than yeah. mistakes Just I've made in my life. Project or... your uh, project your script onto the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, with scrolling. Exactly. exactly. It's like the um, Queen's Gambit stuff. It's, it's the way to go. Well, I mean, speaking <laughs> of writing, let's kind of rewind back a bit because a, a lot of people won't realise that yourself and Sipa are kind of the main writers on the show. And, yeah. uh, you know, everyone adds stuff and has additional material but i guess what i want to know you, you, you and hugo grew up together right yeah, yeah. the case and then you met sepa you were traveling around the world or something and then yeah. they came on holiday what were you doing i've i've kind of it's, heard from their angle of like oh yeah, hugo's it's, it's mate quite... was off traveling and we came yeah. and joined him and that's where you met but what the fuck were you doing it basically was that. Yeah, I, so I was working in, at that point in my life, I'd come out of uni, I'd start working in an office. I was working for East Sussex County Council in the adult social care department. So basically just like facilities for older people in this sort of county that has the most old people. It right. was sort of, <laughs> it sounds like the most sort of boring job and it sort of was basically. And I was the lowest level that you could possibly be, like an admin assistant. And I basically was saving up money while I was there because I was sort of didn't really know what I was doing, but I wanted to move back to London and I couldn't afford to. So I was sort of saving money. And then I thought, all right, let me, I'm going to go traveling for uh, six months and make myself feel better about my sort of pathetic existence. <laughs> so I, I went to, um, in six months, I did like low, I, I went to like China, Hong Kong, Thailand, Australia, then over to. Fucking hell, this is so long ago. Peru, Bolivia, oh, wow. and uh, Brazil. Basically was this on your own? Finished in Brazil. but No, me you? and my mate, yeah, me and my mate Josh, uh, shout out Josh, he basically was like the kind of, a guy that I used to sort of, that I grew up with and we used to play in the same football team and stuff. And uh, and he's just like, he's like me, he's quite chilled out and he's quite sort of, I guess, like thoughtful. So we were just like both sort of quietly wandering this, the, the earth and looking at things and being like, this is great and like having a great time. Uh, and then, yeah, at one point we were in Thailand and Sipa and Hugo came out and that was like the most sort of ridiculous part of the whole trip because A, Thailand is pretty fucking mad. Yeah. Especially like certain parts of it. And yeah, Sipa, as you know, is is just like a complete character like he's just an incredible force of nature so it just turned into this weird 
sort of thing of us doing all these characters and sort of messing about with people where we were pretending to be on drugs on the beach parties and going up to people and like I remember like there was a thing where we were trying to sort of get piggybacks and sh- it was just really <laughs> surreal and strange and uh yeah that's where like Steve's was born with like yeah. it was a kind of a character that was on drugs basically yeah he's he's the character that m- that most people I know always say I, I've I've known a Steve's or I know a few Steve's like, yeah, everyone knows a few yeah, Steve's or as ma- if you've ever been in them, in them worlds, then yeah. you've known a few Steve's. I think most groups of friends have got a, a, some version of a Steve's where yeah. they just do, they go a bit too far or they're just a bit like, they're not quite living in a real world Yeah, uh, on, on whatever level, even if it's not drug related, it's like that they're sort of sucked into a completely different way of thinking and they don't want to sort of box themselves into the confines of like how society teaches you to think sort of stuff because that's the other bit they're harmless and useless in equal measure yeah and and (laughs) it's a beautiful thing yeah so we so yeah after meeting those boys it was uh that was kind of the start of us messing around and doing these characters and then when we got back we started filming stuff sort of just to mess around but also because we had sort of friends who had cameras and were getting into production and stuff and it was it felt like a sort of a way to channel kind of our interest and also our our, maybe our potential interests or our potential what we thought we might be good at like I sort of wanted to write scripts but didn't have any I I didn't really have anything to write about and so once we had these characters then it sort of became an opportunity and when we got the pilot they said you're going to need a script. We, we can't just improvise it all, which we thought we might be able to. But I was going to say, how long did you resist writing scripts? Because I think particularly in the UK, there's absolute icons like Shay Meadows and people like that who allow younger creatives to be lazy as fuck because you hear, oh, it's all unscripted <laughs> and they improvise and all this. And it's like, oh, that's because he's a genius. And yeah. are, are you doing it unscripted? because it's right for the project or because you can't be asked to write a script. And I think it allows people to put off for a long time. I know I've had a few different projects I've been working on that in those days, like, no, 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 I've got, I've got a rough idea and then we'll do it on the day and we'll figure it out. And then as soon as I broke the back of it and actually started working on scripts, I was like, oh yeah, this is much better, isn't it? (laughs) To actually write it. I think in in terms of, yeah, in terms of forming like an actual, uh, project it's it's you get so much out of the scripting process i guess as as performers or as as sort of non-actors especially i feel like we didn't want to have to learn lines necessarily or to be (laughs) sort of uh i don't know constrained by these like words or whatever so so we had like in the early stuff in the in the youtube stuff we had sort of bullet points that we would hit and uh and when we talked about the pilot We'd heard that Larry David in Curb did a sort of version of that, where it was like bullet points that they they knew what the character would go into the scene feeling and what it would happen by the end kind of thing. So yeah. we thought maybe we could do a version of that. But like you say, that's that takes great fucking skill to do that. So like we were completely underestimating yeah. how hard that is. And Larry David did that after he had done like. 10 series of Seinfeld yeah. or whatever else not as his first he didn't he didn't start at the improvised genius exactly period. after he after he programmed into his mind how jokes work and how yeah. how scenes work and how um, the beats of of storytelling and all that yeah exactly and to be honest we were kind of like we we accepted that that was probably a good idea we didn't sort of push back too much on that but uh once we did get that sort of note to like make it into a script that was me that sort of that's where I felt like let me be the one to do this because I that's that's sort of my my thing I guess and everyone was uh everyone was happy for me to be the sort of the lead on the on the sort of script side of of things as long as it was always like a collaborative you know like we we've always worked even down to the smallest little bit of content or whatever that we're doing it's always collaborative it's always like we'll all talk about it come up with the ideas, I'll write some stuff up, then we come back to it as a group and we feed in more ideas and, and then I'll write more stuff up and then it just gradually sort of becomes this like this sort of beast with all these layers of all these funny people's jokes going in. And it's a, it's a lovely process for a writer to have loads of uh, people chipping in and giving you funny stuff. But also don't underestimate the importance because I think so many groups of mates would have 
either YouTube shows or comedy shows or whatever if they had a you in their group. Because I've, I've, I have I've know loads of mates who are like, I've got this amazing idea for a script. And it's like, just need, but, you know, I don't know how to, how to, how to write scripts, so I just just need someone to write it. So, again, that yeah, I'm sure yeah, yeah. everyone having that, loads of people have got loads of amazing ideas, but but having someone who's, who's willing to go... I'll write it all out then. Like, you know, yeah. keep firing at me. I'll turn it. I'll take it from just us sitting around smoking or drinking and dicking about into yeah. here's, a, here's an episode, here's a thing. And that's that's the key. Yeah, to be fair, Seaver and Hugo always have kind of, made, you know, made the point that, like, it, none of it would have sort of actually ended up happening if it wasn't for me sort of driving it along. Yeah. Especially at the beginning, I think it was kind of, my like situation you know working for the council and being sort of unhappy in what I was doing was like the spur it was the you know the fire that was like pushing me to sort of say lads let's let's do it this weekend like let's meet up we can film some stuff I've got my mate Ben's gonna come and like film something we've got a camera everything like that so I was kind of in those early things I was like the producer almost as well but uh I think I'm naturally a sort of a bit of a control freak as well so it's sort of it's just naturally been my role to sort of manage it to some extent, I guess. It's it's interesting to hear that because, but then knowing that Steve's is such a integral character who kind of sits in the background a bit, like he's key to yeah. everything, but he's not up the front. It's not like you've gone, I'm the writer, let's write the, the best character for me, Cunning. He, yeah. he is probably my favourite, or every, I, I love all the characters, but particularly in Big in Japan, I think his arc was mm. the bit that blew my mind and even more so than the grandness of being in Japan and the huge situation yeah. that's happening. His story arc was the bit that made me made it feel like a film to me because he's like I don't want to give any any spoilers at all but yeah yeah Steve's Steve's is out of his comfort zone but not only culturally it, it more than just culturally he's out of his comfort zone he's being pushed into a world that we've never or yeah. situations that we've never seen him in and couldn't have imagined him being in. And it's beautiful because it's a mess. I think we can say that it's like a, a romantic situation, yeah. basically. Yeah. But yeah. but a very Steve's version of, of a romantic situation, which yeah. is like, as you say, a complete mess. And uh Oh, that was the yeah, the, this... the the Steve's element of it was what made it wonderful because there's numerous points where you would have the traditional romantic beat. And it's yeah. clear to you as the viewer, and then you realise, oh, it's not clear to Steve's at all. Steve's, yeah. he's got no idea that this is the the movie romance moment, <laughs> and, and that's that's the beauty of it. Exactly, and, and we sort of yeah, we played into that a bit, sort of having those moments where you think, oh, this is it. He's gonna he's gonna like say something or whatever, and yeah. then he just says the absolute sort of worst thing he could say. But but yeah, Steve's is one of those characters that. People are drawn to, I guess, because he's quite sort of soft and uh, sensitive and he's he's quite sweet in his naivety. And when he's not kind of vomiting on, on himself and pissing all over his like trousers, he's actually quite sort of, he's, he's quite a sweet person and he's quite pure in a way. He's like a child sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah, people, I, I think, yeah, that, that was definitely a part of the film that I was very proud of is the sort of, there's definitely a bit of heart there. Yeah, I do feel like that sort of thread of it worked quite well. I think I, th- I think the, the reason everyone kind of says, oh, I've known a Steve's or I know a Steve's, but says it warmly is because of that innocence and harmlessness. Because we've also all met people on nights out who have done too many drugs, but are just a f- an absolute nightmare of being, yeah. being trouble, of being, yeah, a, a, a mess or, an, or causing an incident. Whereas there's always that, that Steve's type guy who's, yeah, he's clearly done too much, but he's only at risk to himself. He's not at yeah. risk to anyone. <laughs> he's, he's never going to cause anyone else any 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 trouble. He's kind of like a chilled out hippie sort of in a yeah. way, but but a very sort of British version of that. That's just like a kind of a, a stoner that just like wants to grow his own weed and be left alone. Did did his re- did his relationship with his nan come from your working with the elderly? I guess for the with the council probably subconsciously there was definitely probably definitely yeah um because <laughs> at that time as well I was living in in Sussex 
where my granddad lived at the time. And so I was meeting my granddad for lunches every Wednesday lunchtime, running from work, going down, meeting him and his mate Peter, who was also an old boy that they used to work at the council. I love I love that on your your break from hanging out with old people, you were going to hang out with old exactly. people. Exactly, yeah. And so we'd, we'd have some lunch and then we'd play uh, Rummy Cubs, if you've ever played that. It's a, it's a strange sort of, it looks like dominoes, but it's sort of a bit like... I've seen uh, people, I've seen it be played. I've never known a, what it it's is. It's a funny little numbers game. Anyway, yeah. we played that and yeah, so there was this, I had this sort of close relationship with my granddad at that time which was really nice. And because and, I went to uni in Brighton, I sort of saw a lot more of him while I was down there. And then I guess when the, the sort of relationship with the nan, he, he didn't give me his drugs or anything like that, but <laughs> there was a sort of just the warmth of like old people and just the, yeah. the fact that like, and, and also I was going into old people's homes for meetings and stuff with the council. So I was sort of seeing these, these places and, and sort of the characters and stuff a little bit. So there was a lot of that came from, yeah, from my experiences there. And then like not to get too dark, but when we did the episode where she dies, my granddad actually died while we were, we'd already written it, but before we filmed it. So I had that, that was a very real thing for me to act when we did it. And it was quite fucked really. Like it was almost like uh, I couldn't like actually cry because I felt like it was sort of, it was all too much in a, in a way to yeah, act it because, yeah. yeah, it was, it was bizarre. Uh, it's quite a surreal experience. But I was very proud of that, like making that and sort of that being part of, you know, like a way of dealing with it almost and sort of it being in the edit and stuff. I remember being very like adamant that I didn't, there's that scene where Steve's is being spoken to and you sort of see it through the glass. But uh, I was there in the edit saying, I don't think we should hear the dialogue. I feel like you should just like, let this be like a private moment and just I was sort of pushing for the sort of emotion of it I guess because it was like it meant a lot to yeah, me for, yeah. for that to be an emotional thing so yeah there's there's all these things that like I guess sort of even subconsciously a lot of the time just just sort of fuse into your work as a writer I guess that's just a natural that's that's sort of where the best moments come from yeah I love it and uh, again I think you guys nailed it because I think the best moments often in comedies are when it stops being funny for a brief moment and it mm. and it makes it all mean the more the obvious examples are the are the office and stuff like that where you have those genuinely emotional moments that you're like yeah. oh sh-, because it catches you off guard you're there to laugh and then you go oh shit i'm i'm getting emotional whereas if you put on a dramatic tv show or film you're ready for that yeah. and again like that scene did it perfectly in that way because you're there f- for these laughable fools, and then you get this. Oh wow, I'm actually really invested in these in these characters, and this really yeah. hurts, you know. And I think that uh, like that's part of the uh, even the sort of documentary style is like that we don't want to sort of be doing loads of gags and loads of sort of obvious. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of funny moments, but we try and sort of ground it in reality as much as possible and make it feel like. This is like the real world rather than too much of a sort of constantly firing gag sitcom vibe. So those those moments help to do that, I think. I, th- I think that works perfectly. And I think it, you you would have struggled with that if you didn't have Asim to be the gag man, essentially. So Ch- yeah. Ch- Chabadi as a character is there as the gag man and it allows y- you guys for, g- for gags or moments to come up if they come up. But, but there isn't that thing of, right, how many... Big laughs have we had in this episode from yeah. from Hugo, from Sifa, from Steve. You know, exactly. I think it works nicely in that way. Yeah, he's the sort of clown of the group in a way, and and I guess he's the sort of one that in the pub you'd be sort of quoting him, or he's the you know. Th- there's always got to be those kind of quotable moments or those big those big sort of moments. Yeah, of comedy, and and yeah, he's he's great for that. Your buddy's just like. You can get away with so much with your buddy. It's so yeah. easy to to make a fool of him. It's just an absolute pleasure to write. Well, that's the beauty of all the all the characters is they're so well observed that you don't have to think, oh, would, is that realistic? Because you you can go, well, Ch- yeah. your buddy's doing it, so it's it's real. But, but 
because you have that in real life. You have loads of stuff where you go, that would yeah. never get through a script editor because that's so ridiculous that that happened. But yeah, if, you've, if you've written the characters r- real enough, you can kind of go, right, well, we can do what we want because out of the ordinary shit happens. And it's about tailoring it to the character. Like if, if uh, your buddy couldn't wet himself, but Steve's could, you know what I mean? It's like, it's sort of <laughs> yeah. those extreme things in the wrong hands are very like, they, they, don't, they don't work, but it's about sort of creating a character that can get away with this or this character can get, and your buddy's so sort of, cause he's such a dodgy kind of entrepreneurial, he's always flitting between different things. He can sort of change his like, he can change who he is almost like depending on what he's trying to achieve. And that's yeah. quite a, that's quite a great like character trait. But like, for example, when I went, I, so I went out to Japan to, to research the film. Yeah. And I was kind of in the back of my mind, A, trying to sort of like see if there were the sort of stereotypes were true or if there were sort of better versions of, mm-hmm. you know, the real versions of like what, uh, what people assume about Japan. But B, I was hoping that there would be some shit that would happen to me that would be like embarrassing and sort of weird or, you know, like tri- something that I could just steal for the film. And, yeah. uh, and there was one thing that like was so out there that like it just didn't, it couldn't work in the film because it was so like ridiculous. There was a, like I was trying to buy a ticket. We did a version of it because we showed like uh, Jabali trying to, trying to buy a ticket, but they have these big ticket machines that are just like these huge, it looks like a big like 80s computer in a sci-fi film. Yeah. Just loads of colourful buttons and like lines and sort of, you know, like how the sort of London tube map just looks like a. It, it must just look crazy to most people. Yeah, yeah, but we're all used to it. Yeah, to Londoners, we all get it. But they have their own one that's just like to me was just like completely confusing. And I was trying to figure out how to get from here to here, and I was like, I thought I'd got the right ticket, and then I went to the like to go through, and they were like, Oh no, you need another ticket. You need two tickets. And I was like, Two? You need two tickets? Just. Like, so I've got one, but you need another ticket as well for the, just for one journey. And he was like, uh, and it was starting to get a little bit like, uh, like I'm, I wasn't getting it and he was trying to explain it, but he couldn't. And this geezer, he's like a young, a young guy, young Japanese guy. He's like with his like uniform on and everything. And he took out, uh, he took from around his neck, this little um, translator device thing. And it was like, he, he basically got it out. And he sort of looked at it and twisted, turned it to like English, I guess. Like, and as soon as he did it, it went penis. <laughs> and I was like, did that just, and then, and then he was like, huh. uh, and then it went penis, penis, penis. And he was just like, oh, uh, very, very sorry. Very sorry. Um, <laughs> and I was, I was at this point just like pissing myself. Like, this is amazing. And he, <laughs> He eventually, like, uh, managed to stop it saying penis and, like, help me to buy this ticket. But it was just, like, that sort of thing you think is, like, gold. And I, was, I yeah. came out of that situation just, like, this is, like, amazing. Like, I can, we can have a scene where, like, this, that happens and it's, like, amazing. But then it's, like, in a film, like, who would do that? And sort of why would – it sort of felt too strange. And, and even pitching it to people, I sort of started, like, talking myself out of it because they'd just yeah. be like, yeah, it sounds a bit, like, too silly. Yeah, and it's like no, but it really happened. As it, it literally happened, and I don't know how. They, I don't know how he must have been like messing around with his mate before work or something, and just like looking if, up what penis was in English. If, but if you had filmed it, you, you would have wanted to have a little bit of small print saying, "Just so you know, this really happened." Just yeah. in case anyone's thinking this <laughs> is too ridiculous or too s- silly or crude, this really happened. So yeah, this is real, like a little flashing thing that comes up. I love it, but but we did. Uh, yeah, there was there was a lot of things that, you know, it was great to go out there and to sort of observe the sort of more micro detail of, of like Japanese culture, especially like Tokyo, because it's so it's so intense. And, and yeah. you kind of I guess everyone sort of has an idea of what it looks like and what it's sort of what it feels like to some extent. But it, it it's just so like it's just such a crazy assault on your senses, like being out there. And it was just trying to think, how can we get that across in the film? which I think hopefully we have done to, to some extent. It's, it feels like, it really feels like you're there because we were, we were literally there in Tokyo in the streets, like filming stuff, Yeah, which is great. 
Or you you get that awe and that shock partly because it's just so weird seeing you guys there. Yeah. Because we've not seen these characters outside of essentially their block, like more or less. So it does have that kind of awe. It's like, oh, what? This is like yeah. a, a, it's a weird comparison, but imagine seeing Dale and Rodney Tr- Trotter in Tokyo. <laughs> It just it just blow your mind. You'd be like, "What's going on? What this doesn't this doesn't compute. This this this, this doesn't work." So it takes us on that same journey, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And it's sort of because it's still a sort of urban cityscape. It it doesn't feel like the kind of you know us on the beach in our little board shorts or anything that yeah. sort of feels too kind of TV. It, it it sort of feels like they they're sort of at home, but they're just also not at all there's there's a kind of a weird um thing of being in the wrong city like the city that's not their city and and the sort of the clash of of what people sort of not knowing what people what the culture is out there but especially as artists because part of it i guess is them being sort of manipulated because they don't know what people want in japan yeah and and they think that they know I guess part of the delusion of the like London sort of, of of people just do nothing like the TV show is that they have this delusion that they they're these amazing musicians that are underrated. But in Japan, they don't really have that same delusion. They they're sort of more putting themselves in the hands of other people to sort of guide them because they know that there's an element that they just don't understand about where they are and what they have yeah. to do. But they don't want to necessarily admit that they don't understand because that's the characters. That's yeah. the, particularly beats and grinder have to have that illusion of no no it's all fine i get it but yeah yeah and i guess jabud's kind of ends up struggling as well to sort of assert himself as a as a sort of leader out there or as the manager because he doesn't understand anything so it's it's sort of part of his the weakening of his character and his his struggle comes from that as well yeah a hundred percent well before we uh run out of time i want to kind of ask about what's ahead and i know there's always projects that you can't talk about and stuff like that but can we talk a little bit about peacock because that was one that was on my radar anyway because i keep an eye on what right this is going to sound really actor nerdy but there's certain casting directors are proper right and one of them is shaheen Mm. baig so i kind of i'm always keeping an eye on what shaheen on what nina gold amy hubbard there's a few that i kind of i keep an eye on um, and Sh- and so Sh- Sh- Shaheen was w- w- one, and I saw Peacock, and I saw Dominic Cooper, and I was like, I rate that guy. And then yeah. I saw you, and I think you mentioned a Ben earlier, Ben Murray, right? That you've worked Murray, with yeah. a-, a load of times. So you guys are writing and directing on that. What's the deal there, and what's the how's it all looking? So that was, uh, I should say, I love Shaheen as well. Big up Shaheen, amazing. Um, yeah, she's great. Uh, what happened with that was we made a pilot with Dominic Cooper, yeah. which which was funny and and you know it's one of the first things that I've directed at all, so it was kind of you know a big learning curve for me and stuff. But it wasn't exactly I think what we kind of wanted, and 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 it didn't quite get the attention, like it didn't get commissioned for a series or anything, which was right. a bit annoying. Yeah. So now we've gone through a sort of new process of it's gone from onto a new channel was like the BBC have commissioned uh, four episodes of it based on a new taster that we did that me and Ben didn't direct that uh, Sipa is now the main character. Oh, wow. So it's like gone on this whole journey where we've, yeah, like, so they weren't sure about Dominic. They wanted, uh, we managed to convince them that Sipa would be amazing. In fact, that was while we were in Japan filming that I said, Sipa should do it because he is just like such a uh, incredible comedy force on set like he's yeah. he can carry a scene he can carry a show basically he's he's that good so I was like we need his energy as Andy Peacock and we've yeah we've we've since done this sort of taster thing and it was funny it was really good and we we've, we've got four really good scripts now so we're trying to get enough money to sort of make it as good as we want it to be but you know what it's like with sort of BBC funding at the moment. Yes. It's not quite there. So we're trying to sort of ask for more and we're trying to apply for funds from like certain places to sort of boost it up. And it's all a bit, it's all a bit up in the air at the moment. Yeah, that's always a tough one. It's, it's weird because that happened with this country, 
right? A pilot was made in one place and yeah. then it didn't work and then the BBC took it and they made it their own and it's, yeah, yeah it's now run the absolute best. I always find the journeys of these things absolutely fascinating because you could think that you write a script and then it gets knocked back and that's it, the dead. But, like, Shane Meadows again has spoken of stuff that he made, like, eight years after he wrote it mm. because it didn't work at the time and they couldn't get the funding and they couldn't get this and that and it it all it all finds its own time and its life. Yeah, and even with Peacock in terms of, like, sort of what it's about and tailoring it more towards, like, Sepa and, and, and even because we've been doing it for so long, sort of adding in, it's, it's become more about kind of, there's a lot of stuff about, I guess, wokeness and stuff like that that, that this character's dealing with. It's, it's kind of about, it's kind of always been about toxic masculinity and being a, a sort of man in his mid-30s who's having a bit of a kind of a crisis of just like, who am I and what have I achieved and stuff. But it's, uh, it's now, yeah, I guess, become a bit more dense in terms of the things that he's having to deal with. So now we've added some more. There's, there's an idea that he's going to become the um, equalities officer at the gym. Yeah. So like a white guy speaking on behalf of like all these different minorities and having to deal with like one of the episodes is like Black History Month and it's about it's about Andy Peacock trying to sort of make the gym fun for Black History Month and how sort of fucked up that based yeah. on like real things that you know have been in the news and stuff where where like there was that gym that did a fucking twelve years a slave workout thing. <laughs> there's there's so many like yeah yeah it's kind of. <laughs> It's just, it's sort of poking a bit of fun, I guess, at like people that just are not paying enough attention and not, I guess, developing like along with the rest of the world. I love it. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it will be good when we do it and we will do it eventually, but it's at the moment, yeah, at this point on the 14th of July, it's currently we haven't got enough money. It's funny you mentioned that though, because on, on this point, as we recalled on the 14th of July, there was a big parliamentary meeting about all the racism that's 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 happened against the England players. Oh yeah, and it was pointed out that they didn't invite anyone other than white members of parliament to discuss this this fucking issue. And it is it's just that calamity really? of errors. It's like, are you seriously having this this yeah. big thing? And you've not you've not looked around and thought. Are we the people to be having a long discussion on this and solving this problem, or maybe it's yeah. again? It's like one of those things that if you said it in the script, it would seem too on the nose. Yeah, but it's, it's too obvious. It's real that's, 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 that's the world we live in. Yeah. Well, well, before we wrap things up, and I've intentionally left this until the end because because when I had Seeper on recently, we started talking about this at the beginning, and then we barely mentioned Big in Japan, barely mentioned anything else that was going on. So I just want to know. What you've been watching lately, or listening to, or what's been getting you through this lockdown and these periods? Like, what's been inspiring? And particularly having had those first experiences as a director, now is there yeah. is there stuff that's jumping out to you more and making you go, "Oh shit, look at that through a different lens," kind of thing? Do you know what I've? I guess the one thing, just in terms of like what I would love to make and what I've watched and thought, like you know, when you watch something and you're just jealous, like you're just like, "Oh mm. man, constantly." I want that. Uh, so have you seen Dave? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's like I think that's an incredible show, and it's so. I thought I was going to hate it. I had a load of people recommend same. it to me, and I thought, nah, this sounds like it's going to be shit. And just episode after episode, I was like, man, this is so. It's so smart, and so it's so good, well yeah. crafted, and it's so well shot, and and you know all of the elements, basically everything is just like so well done. So yeah, that's that's been something I've been a, a bit sort of obsessed with and always sort of reference, I guess. Have you checked out Rami at all? Yeah, Rami Cause as that, well. Because that was another yeah. one. It came out around the same time and it wasn't on over here for a while and now it's on like, like one of the prime packages or whatever. Or it's on on 4Play a bit or, yeah, or the Rami's. Channel 4 thing. That's another one that is just like, wow, this is just such... I think, I think what it is, I think what I'm drawn to is a kind of like having a bit of drama and a bit of sort of real commentary on life and what you know what we're here to do or whatever you know the, the sort of like uh the deeper stuff but also like undercutting that with just like funny shit and observational yeah, kind man. of the world is a fucking ridiculous place and uh they've done that so well they all 
scream of commissioners or producers or whoever having f- faith in an artistic voice. And yeah. you put Atlanta in there and Definitely. over here, things like ch- ch- chewing gum. And people just do nothing, to be honest, and not to, to blow smoke up your ass, but they they all feel like sh- shows where a channel has gone, you do it and we'll put it out, rather yeah. than, so what are you doing? And what's that about? Right, rather than... Do you know what I mean? It feels like there's yeah, been a yeah, faith yeah, in the in in the artist in those in shows like that, or just people that have fought so hard to sort of get their like vision across yeah. intact, which I think is like what people sort of that's the sort of battle that people don't see is just like these people creating shows are like constantly having to argue, and it's the most awkward thing in the world having to argue why something's funny or explain yeah. why yeah <laughs> why you like a thing. Yeah, I do that. Day to day with my partner, just trying to explain why the thing I've said is hilarious and yeah. it's just not been understood. But you're now in the awkward middle point, right? Because in the early point, whatever you're making, everyone's assuming that, that no one's going to particularly watch it, so yeah. no one cares. But th- as soon as you get a bit of success and attention, weirdly, from from what I've seen, and I think I've spoken to Tom Davis about this, as soon as there's then expectation on what you're doing... Mm-hmm. Every cunt wants to chip in and everyone wants to be like, oh, oh, you should do this or maybe we should tweak this or change that. Yeah. And then the after point is your Tarantinos or your Ridley Scotts or whoever that people just go, all right, we'll leave yeah. it to you. I can't comment. But there's this bizarre middle bit where like, yeah, oh, you right. made this genius thing. We love what you do. Here's what I think on your new thing. Here's what I'd, I've not made anything, but, you know, here's my opinion. It's like you have the industry arm around your shoulders. It's that yeah. point in your yeah. career yeah. where they're like they're with you and going, yeah, look, we're get, we're making stuff, we're yeah. doing stuff, and everyone's sort of latching on. Yeah, they, they're going, oh, oh, this is amazing. I tell you what, would be good. No, 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 just leave it at this is amazing. Just leave it at yeah. this is amazing. Don't tell me what would be good. Yeah, give me, <laughs> give me like more money. Stop, yeah. like, stop just holding on. Yeah. So get your get your arm <laughs> off from around my neck and go to that cash point. <laughs> That's what I'll lead you over to the that's where point. I am yeah that's where that's where my my relationship with the industry is at the moment I love it well that's the perfect note to end on man um I appreciate you taking the time it's been an absolute pleasure oh thanks so much man much love You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Steve's. Steve Stamp. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I thought it was a cracking one. As said, go and see people just do nothing big in Japan um, in the cinemas. It's going to be on at your local cinema. It's on everywhere. The buzz I've got of seeing it on posters, of seeing the trailer on the big screen, all that kind of thing is... It's immense, man, and you need to be supporting this because this is this is some lads who started making things on YouTube and then it became a TV show and then they got to make a film and it's in the this, this cinema. Obviously, all of them have had and will continue to have successes outside of people just do nothing. They're talented boys. But the fact that they've done this and it's them and their mates, I mean, it just deserves celebrating and supporting to get in those screens and... Uh, and show your support. I'll be back next week. Until then, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.